before the lesson will be Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. I'll be reading Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, and he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Blessed indeed are those who can give without forgetting, give without remembering, and receive without forgetting. Blessed are those who can give without remembering and receive without forgetting. You know, a lot of people are looking for balance in their lives. A lot of people are looking for a sense of harmony, a sense of peace, and a a sense of, of knowing where to put priorities. They're looking for balance. Have you ever tried to drive a car with a tire out of balance? Men will know what I'm talking about. You start to hear as you're driving down the road at slow speed, you hear a thump, thump, thump. And then as you get to higher speeds, maybe you get out on I-10 and all of a sudden the whole car is shimmying and there's a thumping going on. Your tire's out of balance and it's not good to leave your tire that way. It's not good to leave your car in that condition. It's annoying and it's, it could be dangerous. But what about if our lives are out of balance? What if we're like that car that's got the tire thump, 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 thumping, and it seems like something's amiss, something is off kilter, and we're not quite sure how to get things back in alignment? I'd like to share with you this morning, there are three qualities of heart that will help us to keep our lives in balance. And all of these qualities relate to our relationship with God. Three qualities of heart that'll help our lives stay in balance. If we would be balanced in our lives, we must have, first of all, a giving heart. A giving heart. We must be a generous people. Jesus says in Acts 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And one of the reasons why you and I lack balance at times in our lives is because we don't give proper emphasis to a giving, a generous, a compassionate, a kind type of heart, the heart that Jesus would express. A second kind of heart is a forgiving heart. You want to have a balanced life? You want to find harmony and peace and a relationship with God and with man? Have a forgiving heart. At the end of the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14, Matthew 6 verse 14, Jesus says, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive you of your trespasses. 
God takes forgiveness seriously. And it's a sure sign that our lives are out of balance, they're out of whack when we lack a forgiving heart, when we have malice and hatred and anger going on towards somebody else or a group of somebodies. When that's the way we live, we're going to have an unbalanced life, a giving heart, a forgiving heart, and a thanksgiving heart. You probably saw that one coming. A thanksgiving heart. If you would have a life in proper balance, if you would have a life that is in harmony with God and with man, we must develop a thanksgiving heart. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible tells us that we are to give thanks in everything, and then it adds this qualifier. It says, for this is the will of God for you. God's will. It's what he wants from us, a thanksgiving heart. Nobody I know argues with the idea of Thanksgiving as a holiday. I mean, I understand there are some cultural things that are, that are you know, some people oppose, you know, some of the historical things that have happened, but the idea itself of getting together with family and of being grateful, being thankful for the blessings that we have, that idea is a good one. It is an idea that is about balance. It's about seeking and stopping in our lives to think about the many, many blessings that God has bestowed upon us. And as you think about this idea of thanksgiving, I'd like to bring your attention this morning to Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. If you haven't already opened your Bible to that passage, do so now. Luke 17, 11 through 19. You've heard this account before, no doubt. Ten lepers come to Jesus as he arrives in their village, and Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priests. And as they're on their way, they realize they've been cleansed, they've been cured. And one of those ten lepers turns back and gives praise and thanks to Jesus Christ. The other nine continue on their way. It's a story about thanksgiving or the lack thereof. When I was a kid growing up and I would go to Bible class, we'd, we'd talk about this story. And even as an adult, you understand the virtue and the goodness of this man who comes back to give thanks to Jesus. But as you read this particular account, it's in the Bible for a reason. And what if, just think with me for a moment this morning, what if the reason is that God is saying maybe 90% of people don't properly give thanks. Think about it. 10 lepers, nine of them do not return. Nine of them don't think. They saw the guy presumably turn around to go back, but the other nine kept going. And while we'd like to think that I'm the guy that went to say thank you to Jesus, I'm the guy that went back and, and praised God for what I'd been given, Maybe what God is really trying to get across to you and to me is, no, more people ask God for blessings than actually thank him for blessings. Let's ask together this morning the question, Master, is it I? Is there a lack of thanksgiving in my life? Is there a lack of gratitude toward God and toward others? And as a result, is my life out of balance spiritually? because this is not a characteristic of my life, of my experience, of my relationship with God. 
Jesus is the master teacher, and I believe what he's doing is he's sitting us all down as you read Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, and he's going to show us three pictures. A picture of grace, first of all, a picture of gratitude and what it looks like, secondly, and a picture of God's heart, third, because gratitude is close to the heart of God. Let's look at those three pictures in turn and think about what the Lord would have us to understand, what he'd have us to do. In the first place, as you look at Luke 17, beginning in verse 11, you find a picture of grace. Now, grace means blessing. That's all it means. And many times when we talk about grace, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about how God in his mercy and in his compassion looked down and sent his son Jesus to die for us. And we talk about the grace of God that brings salvation. Titus chapter two, verse 11 and 12. So grace, yes, pertains to salvation, but there is a broad sense in which the word grace just means blessing. If you listen to Boone's prayer a, little, a few minutes ago when we were observing uh, the, the time of the offering, Boone mentioned in his prayer the many blessings that God has bestowed into our lives. Every single blessing that you have ever received is a measure of grace. It's grace. And so when you look at this passage in Luke chapter 17, what you're seeing is the unique and the interesting ways in which Jesus brings grace to 10 lepers. He's bringing unexpected blessings, things that no one else can bring, that no one else can provide. Watch this. In verses 11 and 12, the fact that Jesus comes to town is grace. It's a blessing. Jesus comes to visit this unheard of small village, wherever it is, presumably in the region of Samaria. Read verse 11 with me. It happened as he was going to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then it says in verse 12, then he entered a certain village. Doesn't matter where, at least it doesn't matter to the telling of this particular account. And when he enters this certain village, 10 men met him who were lepers and stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. The fact that Jesus entered into their village and he entered into their lives and he became available to them. That's grace. The Bible speaks about the incarnation of Jesus, how Jesus took on flesh, and he came into this world. It is grace that brought him. It's grace that brought him into our lives, into this world. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And when we think about God's grace, the fact that Jesus visited earth, and the fact that he taught us, and he died for us, and he goes to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7, 25, his presence in someone's life is a measure of grace. So he comes into this village and these lepers, they have, they've maybe heard of Jesus. They've maybe thought about what it would be like if they got to meet him. But now here he is, he's in the flesh, he's in their village. And so they don't miss this opportunity. They don't miss this time when they can ask him for something. And in verse 13, notice what they do. 
I'm interested by the way they address him. And maybe it was just one of the lepers speaking for the 10. Maybe not all 10 spoke in unison, you know. I don't know exactly how this came out. But what they said is interesting. They called him by name. They said, Jesus. And then they gave him a title. Are you looking at your passage? Master. He is the master. He's the one in authority. He's the one in charge. They have seen and heard about his miracles. They've seen what he's able to do and the kind of teacher that he is. But master is a title that mostly in the Bible, disciples used of Jesus. People that had already given their lives to him and said, we will follow you wherever you go. These 10 lepers presumably don't know Jesus at all, but they call him Jesus, master. And then they say, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. What do they need mercy for? They're lepers. If you read in the Old Testament, leprosy was a disease that caused you to have to leave your community. It was self-quarantining. I mean, literally, that's what it was. It was quarantining. You have a disease that is contagious, and because of your contagious disease, you're going to have to live outside of the community. Think about this. If you have a husband or a wife or a child or a parent, and your husband or wife or child or parent all of a sudden starts to develop a condition in their skin, think about it. Terror runs through your mind at the idea that if this is diagnosed as leprosy, my husband, my wife, my child, my parent is going to have to leave. They can't live at home with us anymore. They're going to have to go outside the village. They're going to have to stay in a leper colony. That's where we get that phrase, that expression from. And so these 10 lepers, they had become a colony unto themselves. No one else could have fellowship with them, so they had to become their own community. And notice it says in Luke chapter 17, verse 13, these lepers stood afar off. They wouldn't even come close to Jesus because those were the rules. Those were the commandments. And they say, have mercy on us. And here's the point. These people who know sorrow and distance and loneliness and isolation, they know what that feels like. And their one request of Jesus is, would you have mercy on us? Because they know, they've heard of Jesus and they know he's someone who will look on them with love. They presume upon his character. Did you know that you can come to Jesus the same way? That you can presume upon the fact that he cares for you, that he loves you, and that he will have mercy on you? It's a picture of grace. They say, have mercy on us. And what you find is that Jesus blesses them. He says, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, it does not say that they were cleansed when he said those words. It was not until they obeyed. They listened to his voice and they did what he asked. You know, much has been made in other passages, for example, Luke chapter 5 and verse 13, how Jesus, when he healed a leper on a different occasion, he touched the man. And a lot, of, a lot has been said about how, you know, lepers, they would not have been used to human touch. And Jesus touched a leper on a different occasion in Luke 5. But in Luke 17, he doesn't touch any of them. 
He just says, go show yourselves to the priest. Because in the Old Testament, if you had leprosy and you were cleansed, you were supposed to go and present yourself to the priest so that the priest would know it's okay for this person who was previously a leper to be back in the community. You can go back to your normal life. You can go back to your family. And so they obeyed. They did what he asked. You remember Naaman the leper back in 2 Kings chapter 5 verses 1 through 11? In 2 Kings 5, 1 through 11, Naaman went to find a cure for his leprosy. And the man of God said, go dip in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be cleansed. And there was this big controversy on Naaman's part about, well, I thought he was going to tell me to do some great thing, but go dip in the river. That doesn't seem like a really good thing to do. But when Naaman obeyed, he found cleansing. That's the way it is with God, brothers and sisters and friends. You want cleansing from God. You want mercy from God. He offers those things in spades, but you must obey his voice. You must submit to his will. You must listen to his words and do them. And when that happens, notice all 10 lepers were cleansed. They obeyed and they, they went to the priest and on their way, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Jesus is the doctor who has never lost a case. There has never been a problem he could not fix. There has never been an illness he could not cure. There has never been a disease, even sin itself, that Jesus could not remove. You want to find mercy and grace and power, those things are found in Jesus Christ. And he wants us to appreciate that about him. He comes to the village and he cleanses 10 lepers. And then as you continue with the account, it doesn't stop. It gives us secondly, a picture of gratitude. A picture of gratitude. The Bible says, as you read on, In verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. And then verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving Jesus thanks. And he was a Samaritan, it says. What would cause you to shout for joy? What would cause you to shout for joy? I'm kind of a quiet person, you know. Shouting is not something I do a great deal of. In fact, Angie and I have often talked about in our home, we we rarely ever raise our voices. I mean, it's just not who we are. It's not our personalities. It's quiet in our house. So shouting for joy is not something that happens just a great deal. What is it in your life that would cause you to shout for joy? What is it that would cause you to say, thanks be to God, and you're, you're just uncontrolled almost in your, in your gratitude? What would cause you to fall down on your face? What would cause you to be flat on your face before somebody else? This man was cleansed of his leprosy. And this one man out of the 10 decides that he is going to stop and turn around and give thanks and give praise to Jesus Christ. Notice the nature of gratitude. As you look at this particular passage, watch what happens. It is individual. Look at verse 15. One of them, there were 10, but only one of them thought that this was something he needed to do. Again, 
I believe one of the main points of this passage is to communicate to us gratitude is not as widespread as we would like to believe and it's not as frequent in our own lives as we would like to think. We need to be more intentional about gratitude. It's individual. This man didn't ask the other nine what he ought to do. He knew what the right thing was. Notice it was prompt. He was on his way to the priests and he stopped and he turned back. Maybe he could have reasoned, well, I'll go find Jesus later. Oftentimes, the opportunity to express gratitude is fleeting. It's temporary. It's a window of opportunity. And when that window closes, life goes on, but gratitude has been left unexpressed. It is intense. With a loud voice, he falls at the feet of Jesus. And it's interesting in verse 16, he's not standing afar off anymore. That's what they did back in verse 12. When they came to Jesus, they stood afar off from him. But now he comes right up to Jesus Christ because he knows he's been cleansed. He knows he's been set free from his disease. And he falls down at the feet of Jesus. And notice again, The Bible says he glorified God, verse 15, my translation. He praised God, some translation says. Did you know that the Bible links thanksgiving and praise? They're not always the same thing, but very frequently they overlap. When we give thanks to God, we are praising God. There's an old spiritual discipline that needs to be revived in our lives. The old spiritual discipline is this. Sit down with a piece of paper and count your blessings. Name them before God. The song is talking about a spiritual discipline. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. That is a discipline to do. It's not just a nice song to sing. To sit down and to think about the many, many ways that God has blessed you. To name those things before God. And then third, to give thanks for them. It's a discipline of gratitude. With a loud voice, this man comes and falls at Jesus' feet. And you think about the other nine. Where were they? Why didn't they come back? Why didn't they give thanks? Think about what they're thinking. In their minds, it makes sense. Jesus commanded us to go see the priests. We're just obeying his word. Maybe that's their rationale. Or maybe this, I'm so excited to see my wife. I haven't seen her in years because of this disease. I'm so excited to see how things are going with my family, with my, with my parents, with my children. I'm so excited to get back home, get back to the community. I miss the people in my life because of this leprosy. And none of those things are bad. None of those things are wrong. One of the reasons why we lack gratitude is because we're busy doing good things. We're on our way to do things that are right in and of themselves, but to stop and to think about what God has blessed us with, the grace that he's showered into our lives. That's an important discipline. And in verse 16, notice that this gratitude is surprising. It is intentional, I believe, that the Bible mentions that this guy is a Samaritan. The heroes of Jesus the people that Jesus lifts up. And the idea is just like the parable of the good Samaritan, these were outcasts, these were despised people just from an ethnicity standpoint. 
And so these Samaritans, the people that you wouldn't think would respond favorably to Jesus, they're the exact ones who have the right response. He's a Samaritan, this man who comes to give thanks. A picture of gratitude. Is your gratitude individual? You know, sometimes it's easy to let our families or our friends or our loved ones to say thank you for us. Is your gratitude prompt? Is it intense? Is it sincere? Gratitude is rare, and yet it's a hallmark of someone whose life is in balance. There's a picture of God's heart, third. Jesus has some things to say. I want you to notice his questions in verse 17 and 18. There are three of them. And it's not as if he's expecting an answer, but he wants you to think about these questions because he's sharing God's heart. He says, beginning in verse 17, question number one, were there not 10 cleansed? Well, yes, Lord, there were. But where are the nine? Well, they're on their way to show themselves to the priests and then they're on their way back to their families and to their homes and to their jobs and their communities. And then he says in verse 18, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner, the Samaritan, this person you would least expect? I want you to notice Jesus When it comes to gratitude, Jesus Jesus affirms this man made the right decision. This foreigner, he affirms gratitude. Not only that, but Jesus commends gratitude. You have come back to give glory to God. He affirms it, he commends it, and the implication is, brothers and sisters and friends, he expects it. This is the hallmark of someone whose heart and life is in tune with God. I expect that if you live for me and if you serve me and if you receive my grace and my blessings, I expect that this is going to come out of you. That's what those questions imply. Thank you, Lord. Yes, I affirm that. And I commend that. And I expect that too. This is God's will for you. Notice the Lord's commendation in verse 19. He looks at this man who is previously a leper and he says, your faith has made you well, go your way. Your faith has made you well. You've done well. This man returned to give thanks to the Lord. He praised God. And by doing so, he showed us, even today, that having a thanksgiving heart is very, very close to the heart of God himself. By the way, this was nothing new. This teaching in the New Testament is nothing new. You can go back to the Psalms and you can find Psalm 103 verse two, for example. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and watch this, forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. Other Psalms, Psalm 107 verses one and two. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Forget not all his benefits. Let those who are redeemed say so. Give thanks. 
Psalm 116, verse 12, the question is asked, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And it's answered in verse 17. In Psalm 116, verse 17, the answer is, I will give him the sacrifice of thanksgiving. A grateful heart. Psalm 107, verse eight. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. You know what that leper found, the one that returned to give thanks? Not only did he find restoration, not only did he find healing, not only did he find a savior, but he found balance because he understood that part of having a balanced life is having a grateful heart. When your life is out of whack, when things just seem to be off kilter all around, you're not sure what to do next. A giving heart, a forgiving heart, a thanksgiving heart. Those three kindred spirits, because those are the will of God for you, will direct you in the way that God would have you to go. Let's be a grateful people. Maybe you are outside of Christ this morning and you need to know him. The way that you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ is by confessing his name, having believed on him, repenting of your sin and being baptized. When you do those things, you enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. You enter into what the Bible calls the new birth, John chapter three, verse five. You find cleansing, you find healing, not from leprosy, but from sin itself, which is much more vile, much longer lasting, and with much greater consequences than leprosy ever could be. Your sin can be removed. Obey the Lord's commands this morning. If you need to respond and do that, Once you make your way down the aisle, while together we stand and while we sing.